Monk, Arizona Wine Podcast by Cody Vladimir Burkett. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another podcast with the Arizona Wine Monk. I'm, of course, your host, Cody Vladimir Burkett. I'm here with Cynthia Snap from Havelina Leap. Today we're going to be hanging out at Havelina Leap, talking about Zins mostly and all sorts of other fun things about growing in the Verde Valley and Wilcox and other sorts of shenanigans. So my first question, of course, um, a lot of people, of course, in, Aval- in Arizona know about Havelina and that sort of thing. Um, a lot of the outsiders in the state don't really know. So if you could go into a little bit on the name of the winery and, of course, your personal winemaking history. Sure. Um, well, the name Havelina Leap is um, really a combination of American wine tradition and local Arizona wildlife. So we have uh, javelinas in Arizona, as everybody knows. Um, they are a boar-looking like creature, like a wild boar, but they're really not a boar. <laughs> but they are, there's many, especially around here on this property. So uh, the American part wine, of wine tradition is the leap part. You know, the judgment of France, um, stag's leap, uh, one uh, best wine in the world at the blind tasting. And so, hence the leap. Stag's leap, frog's leap, horse leap, there's a lot of leaps. So we thought we would follow along with the leaping part and uh, combine it with an Arizona javelina. Javelina leap. So how did you get into winemaking? Oh my. Well, first of all, in high school, I would have been voted least likely to ever become a winemaker. Why is that? Because I just didn't realize, you know, I, I just didn't see me going that direction. I, did, I didn't even really know anything about it. And you're talking about high school, mm-hmm. you know, but um, I have always been uh, very interested in geology, biology, um, zoology, paleontology, uh, that was, and I've always been an artist on the side. So, you know, followed all those things as I got older. Um, I was very much an entrepreneur and uh, I found myself uh, in Arizona from Canada where I was born and uh, come from a, um, a European immigrant family. So sustainability was always part of my life. I've always had a ranch or a farm or something like that. I've always loved to create and grow my own and make my own and stuff like that. So I guess I get that from my family and that love for the land and being uh, just the whole thing, the whole thing of combining the farming part with the biology part, with the art part is wine. And when I a little bit of geology too. Oh, of course, yes, yes. I've spent many, many, many hours up on the mesa here on uh, House Mountain, uh, walking around, um, looking at you know artifacts and and rock and and everything. And and, uh, there's something about doing that, walking the vineyards, walking around and on the mountain. I don't know how to explain it. You. Just get it. You, you should, if you're a winemaker anyway. You should get it. You should get that, you know, what you're, 
rock, what your rocks taste like, what kind of this, this taste of the sand is, and you're gonna taste that in the dust. You, it kind of goes through your sense, senses. To be honest, I really didn't know that I had such a palate or had that capability. It seems to be natural. My son has it too. He's a, a, a psalm. Um, and so, you know, it just kind of goes, and all of a sudden I found out, wow, you know, and the more you do it, the more intensified everything becomes. When I met Rod uh, 15 years ago or so, I didn't, uh, I knew I loved wine, loved to drink wine, but really knew nothing about making wine. Um, but I um, helped out at Echo Canyon in its early days and uh, through other prog um, progressive things that were going on in wine in the early days here on, in Page Springs. And uh, you know, planting, pruning, learned how to do that. Learned, you know, uh, harvested, bottled, and then I was assistant winemaker. And you know, Rod taught me basically winemaking 101. Well, once you're either you're either all in or all out. That's how I feel about anything that I do. Um, so I I really started to get it. At first, it was of course years ago extremely overwhelming, all the things that you have to take into consideration. But when you are passionate about something and you love something, it seems like everything kind of falls into place and uh, you know you get it. And, and of course I'm a huge researcher on my own. You know, I, I, I read I, about everything about everything that I ever want to know. And pretty soon, you know, I was changing the cellar practices, changing, you know, adding things to lab at, you know, just making the whole thing, you know, just basically being bossy. <laughs> so Rod realized that I, um, that I should probably be making the wine as head winemakers and which allowed him to go and take care of other matters that you have to address when you're running uh, a whole company. And by that I mean we grow, we make the wine, so we're, we have a lot of different hats. And we're a small winery, 3,000 cases, so, you know, but there's still a lot of hats to wear. Oh, yeah. So, um, and I just pretty much 100% focus on the winemaking. It's, I love it. I'm, I, I do the physical labor myself. I'm down here with my cellar guys, which there's two, um, doing it every day and every night for, since I live on the property. I do my midnight punch downs. Towards the end, you know, when Rod's running grapes, because we don't just have grapes from our property, we also um, uh, go get grapes from uh, southern Arizona, our vineyards out in uh, uh, Skull Valley, and between Skull Valley and Kirkland, the Hacienda Vineyard. Now we're going to get from the old Echo Canyon site and also down the street in Page Springs as well. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Which actually will lead into a later question. Yeah. On on those four sites, you know, which has, uh, in your opinion, the best grapes, the easiest to work with, that sort of thing, as well as, of course, the estate. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Actually, that's the same, that's actually my next question, never mind. Um, so you're sourcing from these four areas. Um, well, first of all, what are you growing in all those areas off okay. to begin with? So uh, on, on our state property right here at Havilene Elite, um, we have our estate zin, and that's the only crop we grow, we grow right here. Um, we have a 10 and a quarter acre site. Uh, about four acres of that is, uh, is Arizona zin. Um, then we have uh, the Hacienda, 
which is uh, started to come into line last year with producing. We have Cabernet Sauvignon, we have Merlot, we have Sangiovese, we have Barbera, I'm missing something. Um, missing one, can't remember, didn't you know it? I can't remember right now, but anyways, that that's about most of it. And we're also going to plant some more. We're going to um, decide on a on a white to put in there. We're just not quite sure yet. We are thinking about what we want to do. Or, um, of course, we have the the first vintage of the Cabernet Sauvignon in in barrels right now. I actually tasted that with Rob the last time I was here, and it was killer. Yeah, it. it I've been saying for years, Prescott needs more wineries. And yeah. This just proves the point. Yeah, it's 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 a beautiful vineyard. It's a um, very secluded operation, and um, so those are the vintages that come from there. Now, down the street, uh, Page Springs Road, we have we call it Jonathan's Vineyard, and we are getting in Petit Sirah and Cabernet Sauvignon from there this year, and it's like quarter of a mile, half a mile down the road. Then, going back to the old Echo Canyon site, the other end of Page Springs Road, we have planted um, Cap Franc, and we revived a little bit of Petit Verdot. Oh, nice. I know. That's exciting. And um, hopefully we're going to get some of that in this year. And, of course, all depends on Mother Nature, which is why it's good having your vineyard spread out the balance of our grapes is from Wilcox um, and it's Southern Arizona. So, uh, and we, we buy all those grapes. We ship all those grapes home. Rod is the one that goes down there, looks at the grapes and picks them and packs them, dry ices them and hauls them back home. And he does that the whole time from basically it starts what? End of August through end of September sometimes. Yeah. However, whatever mother nature is doing to us. <laughs> at the time. So a lot of people, you know, in the taste room, they, they come in and they say they like your reds, but they're like, well, there's no whites. Mm -hmm. um, why have you decided to kind of abandon, well, not abandon, but focus more on reds rather than whites? Is there plans to get more whites in the future, or? Well, I'm in my third, I'm doing my third re vintage of rosé, if you want to call that a white. I would uh, classify that as whitish. It's a, it's a red wine lover's white. Yeah, exactly. So uh, then we have, I'm in my second production year of Chenin Blanc, and the one that was served at Super Bowl. And, oh, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, and then also won uh, an award at the Chronicle. So I have my second vintage in with that and uh, those grapes. And basically, it's we have those two to offer, but it's mostly about space. So if you want to uh, make 100 barrels worth of wine, we're at maximum capacity. So 3,000 cases maximum. So our chiller tanks that are in the um, uh, barrel room now, they are, we would have to expand, build yet another building, expand out, blow out, you know, just more massive construction if we were to go that direction. But quite frankly, we think that's enough. Okay. Yeah. So um, I think that just having enough white um, 
and I love doing the Chenin Blanc. It's not that I wouldn't do other whites, it's just that, you know, I've been making the Chenin Blanc, I, I'm familiar with the vineyard now, and I'm familiar with the, with uh, that varietal. The Chenin is definitely, in my opinion, one of the five best Arizona whites, too. Yeah. Um, my list kind of varies depending on mood, but it, you know, it always includes Malvasia, always includes Chenin Blanc, always includes Viognier. Yeah. Um, always includes symphony. It's the fifth grape that kind of wanders around from about four different varietals. <laughs> yeah, so I, I will be going into another white eventually. Um, like I say, the logistics of all that, planting it out at Hacienda, which is where we're going to plant it. Uh, you know, and we have another couple of acres here that we could plant if we wanted to on the on site. Um, so we're it's it's a calculation. It's just it's on the list of about five million things. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Do you mind if I ask what whites you're thinking of growing out there? Oh my goodness! I'm, um, I'm assuming you have a list. Yeah. Well, there is a list, and I really, I really, I really don't know to tell you right now. I okay. really have not really sat down with Rod and and the grower, and we said, well, let's. Let's do do a test of this. Let's do a test of that. Let's let's figure out what we want to plant. I re I really have not had time to even talk to Rod or to sit down and let's get this done. So I'm up in the air. Okay. Things are swirling around my head, but I'm up in the air. So I'm not going to go there yet. No worries. So in your opinion, which location has the easiest fruit to work with? Verde Valley or Hacienda or Wilcox? Hmm, the easiest fruit to work with. Uh, well, my northern, the northern Arizona fruit is really nice. I mean, it's, it comes in, you know, it's so honest and really nice. And, and I, I'm not saying that, you know, southern Arizona doesn't have it because I make wine from there. I mean, I make a lot of good, good wine from there. It just depends on the location and the, and the type of grape, really and whatever Mother Nature wants to throw at you in the, in the midst of it all. So all of those have a factor. And you know, when I'm making a wine, when, I, when I'm getting ready to, when we're get, re getting ready for the season harvest and everything, I only have something, a few things in the back of my mind where I wanna go with the wines, but I really can't make a, 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 a sound decision until the grapes come, uh, come in, or at least we know what they're doing. And that's when you really have to be organized enough to say, okay, well, let's scrap that idea. Let's go with this idea. Let me go with this yeast, that yeast, you know, and it all kind of gets tweaked in as we know what the grapes are doing. So, uh, but, no, but Northern Arizona on this site, off of this property, the Zins coming in, the pH, the TAs, perfect. Um, the Hacienda was right in line perfect. And, um, you know, many others are too, but I really, talking about example, that the zin, for the Zen example, you know, it comes in, yes, you have to be very concerned about, you know, all the normal winemaking process, what yeast you're gonna use, which is, I love that part. It's like yeast, the yeast world is a cool world. And um, then, you know, the Hacienda Cab came in, I'm thinking, okay, first vintage, beautiful vineyard, lovely grapes first vintage what can you expect well, i don't know yeah. so you know and then you're like wow you know if this if this is any indication between the zin and uh, outside of prescott of northern arizona and many of the others that are coming in and 
you know, in the old days, you know, Echo Canyon used to have some fine wines way back in the day. And so um, I'm thinking, I think we're going to be really great, really great. It's harder to grow here because you don't have the tracts of land. You know, you, you're not going to show me 100 acres of somewhere you can plant. It's very difficult. Yeah, in the Verde Valley, there's within that 100 acres, you've got dramatic elevation change. Correct, yeah. So, you know, and it's, it's a little more inhospitable in, some, in many ways, and so maybe you're not going to get the yield that you would, you know, in a, a, a place that you can buy less expensive land and put in a huge, gigantor vineyard. You know, here it's like, here's a block, there's a block, you know, stuff like that. But it seems to be the quality seems to be up. It's early. Yeah, it's still early. I mean, the industry in the Verde Valley isn't even really 20 years old yet. So, you know, we're just now starting to get into that stride, I think. I remember when I was up at NAU in Flagstaff, uh, the wine loft used to carry some of Echo Canyon stuff, and it was... I remember drinking it. I remember thinking this was pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, I've had some, I mean, uh, yeah, that's a, that site's a lot, very, very similar to our land here. And I can remember uh, way back, you know, what was it, maybe 10 years ago, 12 years ago now, a Merlot that came out of there, and it was really beautiful. I think Merlots are really understated in the state of Arizona, by the way. Yeah. Um, I have to admit that I think that Merlot in Arizona is, in my opinion, much better, more complex than California. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's got a lot of understatement, but it's a lot of subtlety there that's really lacking, in my opinion, versus California Merlot. But of course, that's my own palate, as it were. Mm -hmm. um, so Zen, from what I've been hearing from a lot of people down south, uh, seems to be a difficult grape to go. Um, yet, the way you described it, it seems to be doing just fine here. You think that's more about location, that that's a great more for the Verde Valley versus Wilcox, or? My thoughts on this, on that are this. When you are, let's say you grow 100 acres of Zin, let's say, let's say you've got 100 acres and you put a big block in that Zin. Most of the big farms down there that are, are growing, they're going to machine crop. It's harder with Zin to do that. And to get, that's why people are going with other varietals. Yes, it is sketchy growing Zin down south. Doesn't seem to be a problem here. You're right. Um, yes, we get less of a yield. Yes, it is difficult planting it all in there. But when you, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. Since we've started making the estate Zin, it's just been getting award after award, especially the last three vintages. How many awards so far? Oh, it's, it's on the website. I can't remember them all, but um, the it's won two or two or three international awards and one San Francisco Chronicle Gold. So, and the vines are going on ten. So, um, you know, so for the last three years, and it, we knew right from the beginning. I mean. We have like our upper left field. We won in the very early days. We made a single barrel out of that field because it, there's something very special about that one. It's it's a different type of soil up there than it is on the rest of the property. It's um, got more um, volcanic things and more big rock and stuff like that. And then what, as you come down, it's kind of broken up more, more integrated the soil, more more loose. And then 
it kind of combines with the river run by the time you get down to the lower blocks over here. So, but we recognize the quality of the fruit pretty much the first time we harvested. And the only reason we didn't have it out in the early days very much is because there was so little of it. And we just were so busy doing, building the winery still, adding on, doing this, worrying about our barrels, our, our buying equipment still, transferring like an, uh, just a million billion things that you can ever possibly imagine. The um, list of priorities never stops. Uh, so getting into the, um, the Arizona Zin, now that we've had time to compete, to send it out there, it's phenomenal. And yes, every vine has a name. <laughs> it, we take care of it. These are hand-picked, hand-pruned, we hand everything. I walk um, every single row of the entire vineyard a few times during, har pure, during harvest. We do take it off in two, um, usually two different separate times, two harvests. And it's a little to do with elevation because we've got about 80 feet difference between the top and the bottom. And um, of course, Zinn is notoriously uneven. Yeah. Ripening. So it does take the care. But then if you're a premium boutique winery and you're making 3,000 cases, isn't, something that, isn't that something you would expect? Exactly. Yeah. So what are the biggest challenges you faced in the Arizona wine industry as a whole? Um, Being taken seriously. Really. Apart from the extraordinary cost of building a vineyard, winery, and tasting room, um, which is astronomical. Then, besides that, it was just the um, just people thinking, especially in the state of Arizona, like people laughing, basically, you know, saying, you know, thinking you're not only crazy but you know you're you're insane and you're stupid <laughs> for ever trying it, and um, without even having anything to really to base that on in terms of you know professional wineries and stuff like that in the state. So I think that um, that was really hard. It's hard on, it's hard not to have the support from your community or from the state of Arizona, general wine buying, and uh, for them to just omit you, you know, because of that. But now we're proving it. And now we've got the points, we got the awards, we've got the, we're showing that we're making world-class competitive wines. They're awesome, they're excellent, and it's just the beginning. So um, now it's starting to shift, but gosh, I, I probably hear of a hundred people, you know, every month that, oh my goodness, oh my God, you guys got wine and it's good. I know. I get that, <laughs> you know, I get that all the time in, a t in the tasting room too. And there are times where I get, you know, and then you get the people that come in from Napa and Sonoma and they're all condescending. Yeah. And it's like, dude, you guys were like this 40 years ago. You know, you've already proven yourselves. It's now our turn. Don't laugh at us, because you know we'll just laugh at you right behind. I love back. it though when I'm cruising through the tasting room, and I I overhear, "Wow, we had no idea. Wow, this wine is good." You know, that kind of thing, and it's really wonderful. You know, but you know, climbing climbing that mountain 
you know, I think uh, for many wineries was really tough to get over that reputation. Yeah. That's of, oh my God, you can't grow wine. Arizona, Arizona has no good wine. I'm like, that's some bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I agree. Um, so what are your plans in the future? More vintages, you're going to be sourcing more from the Hacienda. Mm -hmm. What big plans do you have afoot? If there's well, any that you want to talk um, about. My bi our big plans are uh, that uh, my son is coming to work for the winery um, and getting involved in the business. They're making my son and my daughter-in-law, which she's pregnant, so I'm going to be a grandmother. We've got Aww. another little winemaker in there, possibly. Um, so they're going to move up here this coming year and um, become involved um, in the family business. And I love that um, because that kind of secures the attention to detail that we love. Um, we are... Uh, want to stay at 3,000 cases. Um, we like that. We, it's, it's very, it's, you can really manage it well. You can do the work. You can handle it. It's anything that starts to grow up towards 10,000 cases. It's very hard to keep your finger on the, on the, all the buttons of the process. And so if you, it, this is what we love to do. So we'd kind of be like, our hands in there, like, what now? And then you could be do going down and checking things. And that's not how. I make wine. That's not how we do it. So that and um, planting the other vineyards, maybe getting in the extra couple of acres here um, of something or other, and um, continuing to grow our wine club, which has tripled in size this year. So, and um, you know, I can just more of the same, really. I mean, I don't really have any any plans for building yet another building. I just want to um, improve on everything we're doing, improve on our events improve that we do here, you know, improve on um, all of the services and wines that we make. I mean, a wine for me is like painting a painting. You make a wine, you love it, you paint a painting, you love it, but then you haven't done your best. Every year you can never do your best because that means if you do, you, you're not growing. So I think that just continuing to do that, I don't, I don't, I don't see us going in the next while anyway to five thousand or ten thousand cases. We're at capacity. I just want to, I just want to keep on having great barrels. I'm getting some Dumplings in this year, you know, um, which I really am looking forward to. Found out by accident how well it went with our wine. Oh, good. So it was like a match made in heaven. Everybody, it was like the buzz, you know, in the wine cellar. So that, um, entertaining the new vintages that are, uh, varietals that are coming out of the newer vineyards up here. That's what I see. I'm looking really forward to, uh, well, I've always been fond of Sangiovese, so I'm really looking forward to Sangiovese coming from Skull Valley and seeing what that's going to be like. Cause God, I can barely stand it. Just even now, I'm getting, uh, you know, all in, I'm full of anticipation, uh, if you will, uh, about this time of year as we start to move towards, you know, the, the, the vines, the, we've got bud break, the leaves are coming out. It just gets me all riled up. 
I'm thinking about, you know, what we're going to get this year and what's new, what I get to, what, what I get to do in the cellar, you know, all the things in the back of my mind that I hope to try if Mother Nature allows. You know, I've got some, I think I've got some uh, reserves coming out this year oh, in, nice. in the Syrah and um, possibly the Tempranillo. Uh, we start, I'm going to start paneling tomorrow. So um, uh, we're going to be bottling our Prospector's Blend first, but we, but it's time to start kind of seeing what's going on in the cellar, I, you know, and start paneling the wines and by varietal and see what's going on. And I know there's some spectacular ones in there. Uh, the only th the reason I haven't already done it is because, um, you know, the racking and you want to wait until they settle back in and there's so much to do. So now I'm going to devote the rest of the week to doing this. So uh, with my cellar guys. Nice. Second to last question. Uh, what, in your opinion, was your favorite vintage to make? Which one are you the most proud of? Oh, man. answer that oh god I just I love making each one each well I you know I make mostly pure 100% pure varietals from single vineyards so um, and I really love them all but how can I not love our Zinfandel you know from this property gosh we have vines out there with names for crying out loud you know um, they're really, uh, we're so close to them. We live here. We live with them, you know. So I, oh gosh, it's so hard. It's really so hard. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what, what will even happen next year. I mean, pretty soon I'm going to be able to do like a series, you know. You'll be, oh, we'll have a Northern Arizona Zen, a Southern Arizona Zen, a Northern Arizona Merlot, Southern Arizona Merlot. Cab, cab, franc, franc, you know, we'll be able the to, in the Verdot, so, you know, pretty soon we have a series like that, and, you know, since I do make the 100% varietals from single vineyards, it's going to be a very nice, as close as you can get, um, result of the Arizona terroir. Yeah, and that's something I'm actually very, very looking forward to, because, I mean, I've made some general observations about Wilcox versus Sonoida. Mm -hmm. Verde Valley versus even Chino and Chino and Prescott area. I mean, there's so few vintages coming out of there yet that you really can't say much. Other than I will say the best Pinot I've ever had is coming from Chino, and at least best Pinot in Arizona is coming from Chino. Um, but you know, there's some things I've noticed about some grapes statewide, um, Sangiovese. But then again, when I say statewide, there's no Sangiovese really that's been produced in the Verde Valley even. So I can and, and say Barbera too. Barbera has been awesome. Every time I've made Barbera, it's been just unbelie unbelievably understated. No matter where it's coming, southern or northern. Here we're gonna have. I've made I've made two vintages off of that hill over here. Oh, nice. Barbera, um, and it was outstanding. I'm actually planning on doing a Barbera podcast within the next three or four months. Um, I have found one from the Verde Valley. I've got one from a couple from down south. Um, the missing piece that I need is to pick up a late harvest from St. Anthony's Monastery. 
because they do their late harvest communion wine out of Barbera, which will be interesting trying to ask Father Manos. So what are you using this for, communion? Well, actually, it's for a podcast. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well. But... Uh, I, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing Barbara up here too. I think that you know, I'm going to go out on a ledge and say that I think Italian varietals shine here, and uh, uh, it's not all 100% true, but I'm I, in my heart, I feel like Italian varietals do very well here. I would like to see more of that. I know the Barbera is good. I know the Sangiovese is going to be fantastic out of out of. Um, uh, Hacienda, uh, and I'm really looking forward to it so much. Well, then that you know, speaking of Italian varietals, is there an Italian varietal that you would bring to Arizona specifically that you would like to see grown here? Not yet. Not just now. I want to make. Um, I want to make more first from locally, and then I'm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I would do. And it also depends on, you know, what we've got going in the land and where where would you plant it? Would, would you do it across the apple? Would you do it here? Would you, you know, all that has to be taken into consideration. So you're just kind of talking out my ear if I say anything like that now. Fair enough. And I'm so, um, I, right now, my priority is taking care of the varietals that we have. I guess what it all boils down to is when we're ready to invest in more planting, when I get a, um, an idea that I, of what I, where I want to go and what I want to do and what I want to do it with, that will have a lot of play in it too. And right now, I am totally immersed in the ones I'm making. And when I'm ready, I'll go there. And of course, as everything I do, it'll be 200% effort, you know, to pick the right thing, plant it in the right spot, make the, make the right choices with it in terms of yeast, so on, aging, barrels, all of that. There's such a synergy that goes on with different types of yeasts and the types of barrels you put it in and the type of variety you put it in and how that all comes together in the finished wine is something that I think can be really overlooked in the winemaking process. It is. Um, okay, I, I guess I lied when I said last question. Um, another tangent question. Which barrels are the ones that you particularly like to work with? French, American, Hungarian? Oh, man, well... Or does it I really depend on which varietal? It, it can. And um, here's the thing. In, my bar in our barrel program, I don't... I would never take 100... Uh, percent new new French oak and just put them all in there. I would never take just all American. I like to it, don't forget that uh, barrels are in winemaker's spice cabinet. Oh yeah. So because I make these pure barrels, because I make these small batches uh, at a time, I have the privilege of choosing. Okay, let's put this in these new barrels and these in and maybe you know a three-year-old barrel or maybe it's a neutral barrel and let's see barrels and then we'll see at racking we'll see if it's got enough oak and if it's you know where it is and if we want to then switch them out when we rack or whatever so all of that happens just happen 
So um, I, I really do, I have to say, the, Zem the Zemplin barrels, they are Hungarian. They're, they're French, but they're Hungarian, part of the Hungarian forest. So I'm really excited about playing with those barrels. And I, we get 10% new oak a year, and they are French and they are American oak. Hmm. They're both, and it really depends. Um, there's some, the nice vanilla that comes out of the American oak that I, that's really prevalent, at least in the wine I'm making right now. I like that. You know, I'll never poo-poo a barrel. It just depends. I mean, it, you know, maybe, um, I do like the American oak on some of the wines. And it's a little different every year because don't forget I've got my new percent of the barrels of new. Then I've got my one two-year-olds. Then I've got my three four-year-olds. And then depending on the wine and then the type of varietal and the yeast I'm using, it's not the same all the time. It, it, but the grapes aren't the same all the time. It's not a carbon copy every year when you harvest. And it shouldn't be. And it shouldn't be. So those decisions, you cannot pre make ahead of time. You can have an inkling, an idea. You know, obviously, I'm going to have a lot more oak on my cab, but not where, you, where you're going to have to wait 10 years to drink it. Yeah. So I'm like that. Um, I am really concerned with um, more of my yeast types because when you combine... There are certain yeasts that do well with more oak. There are certain yeasts that doesn't really matter. They're in terms of their character's enhancement of everything coming together. And I talk about putting all those things together, like the yeast and the barrel and the wine and the type of wine, and blah, 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 and what you do. That is a synergy that I don't even know where to begin to explain to you. It's just something, oh God, this is going to sound hokey. I just know. I sense it. I taste it. Something happens in my body when I taste this wine, when I smell this wine, and it tells me, hmm, I think we've got enough oak on that. Mm. I think I'm going to switch those barrels out. Hmm. I think, uh, well, you know, next year I might use a different yeast if I'm going to work with these barrels. Something like that. I don't know. Oh, make any sense at all? <laughs> no, it does. I mean, it's, again, that intuitive artist sense. Yeah, the perception yeah. of the wine, what it gives you. And that's what winemakers do. We're giving you a product that, you know, reminds you of something. And, you, and as long as you stay true to your own style of winemaking and you make good wine, then your following will come. If you try to make a wine for everybody, you're never going to get there. You're never going to make anything special. So, you know, I think it's, if we're reminding you, oh, this reminds me of my grandmother when she was baking in the kitchen. She, this reminds me of my trip to Italy. This reminds me, this is what we do as winemakers. We're evoking all these things from you, from the person who's drinking it. And since every winemaker has their own palate and their own senses and minds, you know, probably for me, there's, you know, wines that have stood out in my mind that have um, probably uh, inspired me you know, and I'm always tasting other wines. I, you know, always try to support other winemakers around here. You know, every year I make my pilgrimage, buy everything from everybody, uh, save it or taste it. I try to go to industry tastings, you know, and there's always, because you can never say, if, you, if something that you liked five years ago 
you might love. And there's always that inspiration and there's always that idea of keeping your palate growing and maturing and not, and I really believe that's important. For oh, it is. Maker. I mean, I can't imagine. You know. And this is why I'm continuously trying new varietals of wine. It mm -hmm. keeps my palate sharp and focused. So last question, this is kind of the whimsical question that I ask everybody. If you were a grape, what grape would you be and why? Can we say where? <laughs> sure. Uh, where would I want to be a grape and what kind of grape would I be? I think I would like to be a Merlot grape. Okay. Pretty much anywhere in Arizona. Oh, no, that's not right. I don't want to be a Merlot grape. I want to be a... Cab Franc from uh, Northern Arizona. Why a Cab Franc? Uh, I don't know. It's one of my favorite varietals. You know, it's just it's such an interesting wine, um, and I love it. No, I, I think I'm going to have to say I have to be a Zinfandel grape from our estate vineyard. Okay. Yeah, there. I'm staying with that. Okay. I'm staying with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very, very much for joining me today. I know you've got places to go and things to do, so mm -hmm. I'll... Bid you adieu. Okay, Corey, thank you. You're welcome. I will let you know as soon as this is up. Until um, we meet again, ladies and gentlemen, this is Cody from the Arizona Wine Monk signing off with Cynthia Snap from Heavily Malip. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. All right.